Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Would you open up your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Matthew 1, beginning with verse 18, reading through to verse 25. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this book, for your words recorded in it, for the gift of faith to believe that this is your book and your words. And we pray that you will open our eyes to the truth of these words that we have read this morning, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of every one of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. You who are our strength and our redeemer, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So after recording for us how the angel of the Lord revealed to Joseph that it was God's will and power that had made his betrothed Mary pregnant and that he was to stand by Mary and support her, Matthew inserts an editorial note here to us, the readers. And it's this editorial note that I want to look at first. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that the details of Christ's conception and birth are not accidental, nor are they inconsequential. They are part of a grand design which God has had set in place for many hundreds of years, which is in the process at that very moment, as it is still today, of being fulfilled. Right down to the last jot and tittle, to the last comma and to the last semicolon or period. And so we see in verse 22... Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. Each gospel has a different emphasis. And the emphasis of Matthew is that Matthew is a Jew speaking to Jews. 
And Jews are the people of the book. There are three great religions that are the religions of the book. There's Islam, there's Judaism, there's Christianity. Judaism is the original, and they are the people of the book. And so when Matthew writes, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, he is pointing back to the Old Testament, specifically to the book of Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah, which had been written down. So when Isaiah made the prophecy, he was writing the word of the Lord. He was writing down what was spoken by the Lord. Now, I have an axe to grind with some of you. (laughs) And none of you would be surprised to know that, right? Tim always has some axe to grind. Here's the axe I have to grind with you. You think you're above nitpicking. You think that you're cosmic. You think that you are generally headed in the right direction, but have begged to differ over particularities. And the particularities you beg to differ over are the words of Scripture. In other words, some of you are bright ones, smart ones, intellectual ones, and says some of you look down on stupid people like me who make a big deal out of words. Come on, fess up. It's true. Some of you think, oh, Tim is just so nitpicky about words. And it didn't originate with me. It originated in Scripture. All right? Matthew here is saying that the Lord spoke through the prophet. And the only reason Matthew knows that is that he read the words the prophet wrote down. And so what's inspired in Scripture are not the concepts, the truths. That's the weasel place of people that don't want to face down their inner demons. And so they just say, well, the Bible communicates truths. And so the first point I want to make, not because I'm cantankerous, although I am, But because you are sick, and I'm a doctor of the soul, and I'm pointing your sickness out to you because that's what you want a doctor to do is tell you what's wrong, and I'm telling you what's wrong with you is that you think it's the concepts of Scripture that are inspired instead of the words. Okay? And Matthew would be a fool to write this way if it was the concepts. He'd get all la-la land on us. He'd go cosmic on us. He'd say, you know how the the, the prophet Isaiah was talking about a young woman. And that would erase the problem because if you talk about a young woman conceiving, well, any idiot knows that's what young women do. But he doesn't say young woman. He says virgin. And so what do you want me to do? You want me to get like IU-ish with you? You know, you want me to get turn into an academic and I can just go all cosmic. Oh, isn't that, isn't this a sweet thing? Isn't this is nice? A young woman's going to conceive. Sounds much better, IU-ish, doesn't it? 
And then all of the problems are removed. And when we begin to deal with God in such a way that all the problems of God are removed, our God is an idol. Our God is not trying to minimize the problems that he has with us. (laughs) Our God loves us enough that he maximizes the problems he has with us. And down in the deepest recesses of your heart, when you are honest with yourself, that one moment in your whole life when you're honest with yourself and you see precisely who you are, you want a God who maximizes his problems with you. Okay? And it starts with your stupid, idiotic brain. Your brain is not as smart as you think it is. Your reasoning power, your logic are not as good as you think they are. Scientists are not the gods today. God is in his heaven. And God determined when he inspired Isaiah to write the word virgin instead of the word young woman, God intended to explode your scientific conceits today in this place and to make you realize that when he sent his son to earth, he, from the very first moment of his conception, decided to blow epistemology and ontology and philosophy and what I call scientism, all right? He intended to blow them to smithereens because behold what? A young, no, behold what? A virgin shall conceive. And all of it took place to fulfill the words he had spoken through Isaiah. And here's Matthew, and Matthew has read the words, and Matthew doesn't view himself as being above the very words of Scripture. And so don't you ever lie to yourself and think it's the concepts of Scripture. that are inspired. It's the words. It is the words. God is not stupid. God sets up his word so that every word is a scandal to you so that you get broken, so that you stop trusting in your great gray matter. Now, I don't know how that's translated cross-culturally, but I trust that some of it is communicated. You come to America, and you come to America because America has schools, and if you have a degree from America, then your parents are happy, and so they spend their money getting you a degree from a school, and you come over, and, 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 and you know, you go to the university, and they shove stuff in this ear, and hopefully it doesn't come out this ear, but it comes in here, and then you get a degree, and you go back to your home. And what do you learn? Well, you learn that it's very important that you get an education, that you get a degree, that you... But you're not here because of IU. You're here because of the church of Jesus Christ. You're here to understand that before there were ever academics studying anything, there were God's people reading God's book. And that's where all of education came from. Okay, you read the history of universities, all of it came from people who were committed to the words of the book. 
Okay? The highest literacy rate that the world has ever known was in colonial America, which was filled with Christians who were committed to their children growing up, able to read the book. And so that's the highest literacy that the world has ever had was centuries ago in New England where everybody believed in the book and so all their children could read. And so I, listen, I'm not in Partyville anymore. (laughs) I'm now in Bloomington. And if you get conceited by your, your stupid, stupid degrees and studies, do you hear me? Okay? I'm not saying that what you learn is wrong. What I'm saying is it's the foolishness of man compared to the wisdom of God. And so when God says, behold, a virgin shall conceive through a prophet Isaiah back in 730 or so B.C., and then Matthew writing seven, eight centuries later says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord spoke through his prophet, behold, a virgin. And you look up there and you see the words in all caps. You understand the difference between, uh, what would it be, all caps? The reverse of that is what? Okay, lowercase. All right. So lowercase, and then you hit verse 23, behold. That's a quotation in the New Testament of the Old Testament, and that's why it's in all caps, okay? And so all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, quote, behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And so the virgin means virgin. It means a woman who has never known a man. Okay? And so she had a child in her, but this child was precious because this child was God incarnate. Now, what does the word incarnate mean? Well, any of you ever heard the phrase carnal knowledge? Carnal knowledge is knowing the flesh. In the Old Testament, you will sometimes read the circumlocution, he knew her, all right? And that's referring to carnal knowledge. It's referring to knowing her flesh. So it's a a way of talking around the issue of sexual intimacy, all right? And so what we find is that in the womb of the virgin was God incarnate, and that means God incarnate in flesh. Now, it's not saying in flesh because it was inside the mother's body. It's saying in flesh because God took on personally human flesh. He became a baby in the womb of a woman. And that's the next thing you have to realize is that this teaches us the importance of words, that we're the people of the book, that we trust every word that God spoke. But the next thing you need to realize is we are the people that invented the dignity of women. Now, I don't mean we. I don't mean me. I don't mean Christians. I don't mean Jews. What I mean is that God is the one through his revelation who dignifies woman. 
It was not Indians, it was not Chinese, and it was certainly not American Indians who dignified women. Again, just study history, and what you'll find is that women have constantly been commanded and forced by their husbands to kill their unborn children and their newborn children. All right? All around the Jews, when they lived in the promised land, were godless people who forced the mothers to kill their children. Men have always killed their wives' children. Except the people of God. All right? And so blow all the multicultural smoke out of, out of, out of your nostrils from IU. It's bogus. Christians treat women with love. Christians invented treating women with love. Jews were the first people and the only people in the ancient world that treated women and the fruit of their womb with respect. Because, of course, how do you treat a woman with respect? By loving the fruit of their womb. You know the old saying, that the path to a man's heart lies through his stomach. Right? You know that, right? Everybody knows that saying. It's a famous saying in English. The path to a man's heart lies through his stomach. And then you tell young men that the path to a woman's heart, what? Goes through her children. And so what we see is that Christianity is the place that has invented the university, invented the book, invented words, invented truth through words. And then we learn that Christianity is the only religion that has honored woman because it's the only religion that's honored childbearing. It's the only religion that has not required its women to kill their children. Can we please not listen to the lies of multiculturalism that says that everybody has their own faith tradition and everybody's spiritual in some way? And begin to open our eyes and see the history of the world. And the history of the world is very clear. And that's why in China and India today, you have an unbelievable disparity between men and women, number-wise. And it's because in places that don't fear God, they kill their unborn children if they're women, and they keep them if they're men. Come on. I remember, do you understand? In other words, always people want boys instead of girls. And so they've changed the actual proportion of men to women in India and China by having, uh, having abortions if it's a girl. And if you go back in history, you'll find that it was the little girls who were exposed on the riverbanks. It's the little girls that were killed in Rome. And so this is the world. And then we come into the church of Jesus Christ. And the church of Jesus Christ all of a sudden honors motherhood. <laughs> it doesn't require its women to go out and contracept themselves into sterility. 
and, and, and act like a man and wear clothing like a man and have some value so she can finally be in the gross domestic product. Christianity says to a woman, will you be my wife? Will you be the mother of my children? And then when those children come and they're a girl, it's like, don't you just love girls? Because girls are so, so much easier when they're born. Except Hannah. <laughs> and if it's a boy, they say, oh, well, a boy's better in high school than a girl. So you just have to wait a few years and, and then it gets better, you know. And Christians love the fruit of the womb. Christians love motherhood. Christians love women. And now I tell you this and you say, oh, that's such a, that's such an, a Christian exceptionalist position. And I say, no, it isn't. I'm showing you right here in Scripture. It's right here. You can't deny what this text is showing you. Now look at it. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us, and what? Joseph awoke from his sleep. He'd been spoken to by God in his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph was obedient. And what did he do? He loved the mother of God. He loved her. And how do you know he loved her? Because he didn't make her a servant of his flesh. How do you know that he didn't make her a servant of his flesh? Because it says there that he did not know her. He kept her a virgin until the birth of Jesus. How do you know that a man loves you? Because he doesn't have sex with you until you're married. That's how you know. You see, this is Christianity. Christianity is not just Jesus died for you so that you can believe in him and, and escape hell. Christianity is a worldview. Christianity is the only place in the world where there is no sexism. And what do I mean by that? I mean, in Christianity, a woman is honored for being a woman. Why? Well, because, take this one for instance, the virgin conceived, and in her womb was God. Now, how would you not honor women? <laughs> huh? How would you not do that? What is Joseph? Joseph is, is really nothing in this story. Joseph is just the one that listened and did what he was told. And that's pretty much the highest aspiration any man can ever have. He's an also-ran in the home. Because she conceives and gives birth to a child. It's just so wicked today that we think that we've invented love for women as if never before in history have women been loved. And you look at this account, flip back up 
please. Flip up. Yeah. You look at this account. Mary had been betrothed, so they were engaged. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. So here he's engaged to a woman who's, who becomes pregnant. Now you all know he had not had sex with her, and she's pregnant. You, you understand that, right? And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her. Come on. This is Christianity. He did not want to disgrace the woman. He loved her. Why did he love her? Well, he loved her because he'd loved his mother. Why did he love his mother? Because his mother gave him birth. His love for his mother had prepared him to love Mary. And because he loved her, he was not going to submit her to public humiliation, right? And so Joseph is a man 2,000 years ago who was very tender and very loving to women. Tender and loving. Now listen, I tell you, those of you from other cultures, including Afrikaans, okay, I defy you to show me any culture in the world that separate from Christ is not nasty and brutish to women. And you know what America is today? America is a nation that is decided that it wants to again reclaim its pagan heritage and become nasty and brutish to women. And so America has started aborting its children. It was unheard of. Christians never did such a thing. But it's Christians who are aborting their children in America. 1.3 million a year. In America alone. All right? And we're also freeing women so that they can, instead of being mothers, so they can go into the workplace right? So that they can earn their keep, so they can become a part of the gross domestic product. Of course, what has happened to the word domestic? I guess it ain't domestic anymore. <laughs> In other words, it's not house anymore. And so here America is, it's now making women work and give some other woman the care of their children. It's aborting the children. It's telling women not to have many children. Women are the ones that carry the majority of the STDs. You know that. And they're more destructive to women than they are to men. And women have the privilege of now having no-fault divorce. What is no-fault divorce? Well, it's the concept that there's no moral failure in divorce. It's just if you want to be done with her, you're done with her. And now in churches around the country, and I hear this regularly from people who have observed it and suffered it, in churches around America, you will have a man decide he wants younger flesh. He'll cast off his first wife. He'll give himself to a younger woman who's better looking. And then that woman and he will show up in the church. And they will sit in the church in the presence of his cast-off wife and her children. And the church is so tolerant and so enlightened and so sophisticated that it doesn't say, No! You will not do that. You are gone from this church, right? And we look back at a time 2,000 years ago, and we're absolutely certain that those people were in the ancient world when women weren't honored and they weren't loved and no son loved his mother and no husband loved his wife and no father loved his daughters. And thank goodness we live today when women are free. 
This is like wacko. It's completely wacko. And look at the text. It says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He didn't want to subject her to public humiliation. So now what do we know about this man, Joseph? We know that he was righteous and we know he loved Mary. I told you he loved his mother. I, you know, I don't really know that specifically because the Bible doesn't tell me about his mother. But don't you have to assume that if he loved his wife, he loved his mother because don't men want to, doesn't every, I mean, Seth, right? You want to marry your mother, right? Come on, tell me the truth. Come on, just say it. I mean, not, you know, not her. But don't you want a woman that's like your mother? That's what you told me. That's what he told me. He's bashful. And those of you that have had good mothers, don't you want to marry your mother? He wants to marry his mother. There's no question that Taylor wanted to marry his mother. Right, Taylor? He just says, yeah. And so you have to assume Joseph loved his mother. And so what did he do? He loved Mary, and because he loved her, and because he feared God and was a righteous man, he didn't want to hurt her. And so Joseph was going to put her away quietly. Are you with me? And so here in the Christmas story are these wonderful, wonderful countercultural words and sentences and truths that free us from living in the oppression of America and higher education. We're freed up to believe in God incarnate. We're freed to live that God dignified the flesh of every woman by putting his son in the womb of a woman, of a mother. You know, you think how easy it would have been for God to send his son to earth without the indignity of living nine months in a woman's womb. But God put his son inside the womb of a woman. And so how could Christian men not love their mothers and their wives? How could older men who are Christians like me not love every single woman of the church? Because why? Because they have... They have given themselves up to bearing the fruit of love. Their husband doesn't have sex with them. Their husband loves them. He makes love to them. And this is Christianity. <laughs> oh, man. This is truth. This is love. This is man, woman. I was reading an article the last couple of days about um, this women, woman's college somewhere in, on the West Coast. But it could be anywhere. And the woman's college is, is having this real problem because there's a group on campus that's meeting weekly, monthly, I don't know how often, and the group's meeting because it's a support group for people who are trying to work through what pronoun they want to be used with them. All right? And so some 
Some want to be referred to as he, some want to be referred to as she, some want to be referred to as, what is it, X or N or, what was it? Spell it. Zim, yeah, that was one of them. And then there was another one that began, I think, with an E. And then a lot of them want to be referred to as the singular they. All right? Well, and actually they in English has been uh, used as a singular going back three or four centuries. <laughs> we just don't know that. Uh, Dad wrote an article about that 35, 40 years ago. Um, yeah, if you go to the OED and read, you'll find that they has a long history as a singular. Um, now, why is this? Well, it's because we're intent on obliterating God's gift of sexuality. And so instead of speaking of it as sexuality, we speak of it as what? As gender. And gender is a social construct. And I've been saying that for decades. You all get tired of hearing me say that. And in this article, what it actually said is they were talking to one of these women. Now, they're all women because remember, it's a what? It's a women's college. And so they were saying to her, help us here. This is a woman's college. And so when you applied to come to the college, you must have marked the application that you were a woman, right? And she said, well, the application asked, this is a direct quote, the application asked for my sex. It didn't ask for my gender. Now, this is how America today loves women. Where you have a women's college where there's a whole group of people that don't want to dress, to speak, to have hair, to have personal pronouns used towards them that reference what God made them, which is a woman. How do you end up loving women and then have women not want to be women? How does that work? Okay, how does it work? Well, it's not Christian. And so what we see here is this beautiful, beautiful description of this relationship of Joseph and Mary, of God dignifying the womb of a woman by putting his own son inside of her and spending nine months and being given birth to by Mary, the mother of God. This is not a Roman Catholic doctrine. This is a Protestant doctrine. And the two names that are given in this text are, first of all, flip it down, uh, yeah. She will bear a son, you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then, shall bear a son and they shall call his name, verse 23, Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins, Emmanuel, because he will be God with us, meaning God with us, okay? And so Joseph is told two names that he will bear. And we all have two names, right? I'm Tim Bailey. You're Jake Menzel. Some of us have three names, there are people that have four names. 
Jesus had a number of names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus was to be called Jesus because he would save his people. And in the word Jesus is Savior. All right, it's like the word Joshua in the Old Testament. It essentially is the word Joshua. It's salvation, save. And today we hear the word save and it's like uh, it's our mother when the meal is over. <laughs> you know, you know, let's, let's save the food. And I always try to sneak it down the garbage disposal. You know, so I'm sorry, I do. You know. And that's about our concept of save because who of us has ever needed to be saved from anything? But listen, when Isaiah wrote this prophecy, okay, Judah, the southern kingdom, was surrounded by the Edomites attacking them, by the Philistines attacking them, and by Damascus attacking them. All three of its borders were under attack. And the reason the prophecy was written was to try to strengthen the king to not give in and ask Assyria for help. All right? And what it says, if you read the prophecy of Jesus and a virgin conceiving, what it says is that the king and the people's hearts were like trees blowing in the wind. That's how petrified they were. They needed saving. And so America today, you know, we just don't think anything of starting a war here, starting a war there, flying our jets over someplace off the shore of China. We're just the great empire, right? Because we have no fear. We'll do what we want. And so I say the word save, and you think, well, what do I need to be saved from? I am woman, hear me roar. Or I am man, and I'm going to walk away with with a degree, and that will give me security the rest of my life, except Brandon, the poor man. You know? Nobody's hiring English professors, except Clear Note. The reason that Jesus is called Savior, Joshua Jesus, is because we need to be saved from our sin. And this is the great universal. It knows no ethnicity, no race. It knows no nation. It knows no hemisphere. It knows no sex, male or female. It is the central reality of your life. And that is that you look inside your heart and you know that your heart needs to be saved from what? From itself. From itself. Because inside, it is dirty. And Jesus is called Jesus because he was sent to save us from our sin. And then he's to be called Emmanuel because what does the word Emmanuel mean? 
Well, L, you all know what L means. It means God. El Shaddai, Elohim, and then imminent. What does imminent mean? Close, arrived, here. And so the word Emmanuel means literally El imminent, El, God with us. And what is the meaning of God with us? Well, often it's helpful to see what the meaning isn't. And the meaning is not God above us. That's what a scientist who studies the stars will tell you. He will tell you that man is an insignificant nothing. And so the the highest scientist can ever reach is God above us. I remember reading in the New York Times Sunday Magazine an article on the Big Bang. And they quoted a cosmologist who was at the center of the study of the Big Bang. And what he said was, when we climb the mountain and arrive at our theory of the Big Bang, we find the theologians sitting on top of that mountain waiting for us. In other words, when the scientists do all they can, they arrive back at the Big Bang, there's no place to go. They're on the top of Everest. There's no first cause. It's just an empty void up there, and you can come up with Gaia or some sort of cosmic force, the life force, but scientists arrive at their terminus, their point that there is no place to go beyond it. And on that mountain is the theologian. And then we go to the book of God, and the first sentence of the book of God says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so this God, who made all things, who made how many, how many, uh, how many uh, planets are there? What did I tell you last week or two weeks ago? It's like, I don't even remember. You know, it was, it was hundreds of billions of planets that are in... I want to say the Mary Poppins zone, but that wasn't the thing. What was it? The, the Goldilocks zone. In other words, they're, they're close enough to be warm, but not close enough to burn from their star that could have life. And all that stuff that God created, all of it, in the beginning, God created from nothing. And so the scientists say, well, God above us. Look at all those Goldilocks planets and Goldilocks zones, I say. And then Christianity says what? Not God above us, but what? God with us. Any of you uh, like Eric Clapton? My favorite Eric Clapton, and I, boy, I love Eric Clapton. I love every, almost everything he's done. I do turn cocaine off, <laughs> running around my brain, but I know it. But my favorite one is do, 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 do. Remember those majestic chords and the slowness of his playing them. And then what does he sing? You remember? He says, I have 
finally found a place to live in the presence of the Lord. I have finally found a place to live in the presence of the Lord. His name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. And it is almost impossible for me to believe. Satan is constantly telling me that there's no way that God is anything but against me. And you look at your sin and you just think, surely God is against me. I don't love my husband. I'm not kind to my children. And I could keep going, but those are the worst sins that we commit. After that, adultery and murder are nothing. And we think, surely God is against me. And the Christmas story, written how? In words, all right, all right, words, says his name will be Jesus because he will what? Save his people from their sins. And his name will be what? Emmanuel, because he will be God with us. And this has no race, no creed, no language, no hemisphere, no ethnicity. This is universal across all time, all nations, all places. It is not owned by American money, and it's not owned by Chinese numbers. The Queen of England has no say over this. And the CIA can't break the code. And neither can the NSA. This is God. He speaks the world into being. And then he sends his son to us to save us from our sin. And that's Christian faith. And so the end of the story for you is if you have the faith to look at your heart and to see the sin of your heart and to not lie about it and to not excuse it and to not compare yourself to anybody else but to see your sin, then you take that sin to these words and what you see is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's Christian faith. And if you believe that's why Jesus was sent by his Father to us, and that he was sent by his Father's love, 
and that he is to save you from your sins, then you are a Christian. And the rest of your life, you live to do his will. And you'll fail. We all fail all the time. But we live by faith that Jesus will save us from our sins, okay? Every single sermon ends with me pleading with you to come to Jesus. Don't come to IU. Don't come to me. But come to Jesus. Bring your sin to Jesus. Don't lie about it. Don't excuse it. Don't do comparison thing. Bring your sin to Jesus. And Jesus then will live within you as he lived within Mary through the Holy Spirit and you will be saved from your sin. Okay, that's the gospel. That's the good news. Don't let Satan steal that seed from your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. We thank you for the gift of knowledge of our sin that you have indeed sent your spirit who has convicted us of sin and righteousness and judgment. We thank you, Father, that those who believe in Jesus now have God dwelling with them. And Father, I ask your mercy on those souls here who do not believe in Jesus that you will help them to turn their back on the lust of the eye and the lust of this world and the pride of life, that they may come to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, they might have life through his name. I plead with you, Father, that you will be merciful to us here today. In Jesus' name.